Amen. I want to direct your thoughts for a little time to those words found at the end of verse 14, the words spoken by this great king Hezekiah. Listen to it again. There may be someone up in the gallery, someone down on the ground floor, someone listening by social media, and you may like to take these words upon your own heart today. You might really be saying, no, as I mention this text, O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. Very solemn word. I believe it to be a word from God for today. Hezekiah was only 25 years old when he became king of Judah. That was a great responsibility for one so young. He ruled for 29 years and he died in his mid-50s in the year 687 B.C. During his lifetime, he turned back his nation, the nation of Judah, to the ways of the Lord, reversing the ungodliness of his wicked and evil father Ahaz. This is truly an amazing thing. He had such a wicked and evil father, yet the grace of God prevailed in his life and changed his heart and caused him to become one of the great kings of Judah. He was a man who experienced times of revival, times of refreshment in his own experience. God had visited him and visited his people and sent the times of refreshment. He was also a man who had known answers to prayer in the previous chapter, chapter 37. The Assyrians were surrounding Jerusalem. God's servant prayed to the Lord. He received a word from Isaiah the prophet. And the Lord did an amazing thing. And one night, the Lord removed by his divine power 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. With the result, the rest of them went back to the homeland again. And in this way, God had answered prayer for the prophet, for the prophet yes, for the king also, and for the people. So he was a man who had experienced great answers to his prayers. And he learned to expect great things of God. This is one of the things, one of the truths of the Bible that we need to keep close to us in these times. We can expect great things of God. Because in spite of changing times, the Lord Jehovah has never changed. He remains the same. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. So we have a little glimpse into this man's life and his experience as a servant of God, then suddenly he fell seriously ill. Verse 1 says, he was sick unto death. And as a result of this sickness, he was going to die. Thou shalt die, said the prophet. His sickness was terminal. It was the kind of news we all secretly dread. We dread that word from the doctor. 
we'd read that particular word from the surgeon, you're not going to make it. So we can try to identify with this king at this point of time. You can imagine how he felt that day when this message came to him. He was probably in his late 30s when this word was brought to him by the prophet. And in response to the startling news, the stunned king turned his face to the wall. He was obviously upon his couch or bed. And the Bible says he prayed unto the Lord. Wise man, he did a sensible thing. He did the right thing. He took that great burden to the Lord and he cast that care upon him. It was the right thing to do and the wise thing to do. What a good example he sets for us to follow. Sometimes we follow a bad example. From the pulpit out, we all do this. But here is a good example for us to follow. And God has given to us these characters in the Bible as good examples for us to follow. Christ, of course, says the chief example. But God has given to us characters in the Bible that we can emulate and follow the good things they did in the service of God. What we have in our text is one of the great short prayers in the Bible. And it tells us a few things about Hezekiah at this time. Listen with me as I seek to expound the word today. O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. Pray that prayer if you're burdened. Pray that prayer if you're cast down wherever you are, whoever you are. If your heart is breaking now under the means of grace, take this promise, take this prayer to the Lord. O Lord, We're going to the right person. I am oppressed. Oh Lord, let us know my heart. Let us know how I feel. Lord, please undertake for me. There's not a thing that I can do. Just undertake for me. First of all, there's the sickness he suffered. The Bible says he was sick unto death, or if you like, he was at the point of death. Now, do you read anywhere in the New Testament about anyone who was at the point of death? Well, Mark chapter 5 brings before us a man called Jairus. It tells us that his daughter, a 12-year-old daughter, was at the point of death. Okay? So we're linking these two things up, at the point of death. And then in Mark chapter 5, 26, we're told that she grew worse. Oh, she's getting worse. She's got a fever. Jairus, you'll not last much longer. If, you go, if you're going to see Jesus, you better do it quickly. And so he went away to seek Jesus. Then the Bible tells us in verse 35 that those came from his house and brought the sad news, thy daughter is dead. She's gone. There's no point of troubling the master any longer, but that's when grace stepped in, you see. The Lord in grace raised the daughter of Jairus and gave her new life, changed the whole scene, changed the whole situation. And without Jesus Christ today, let me make it clear to you that you were dead in trespasses and in sins, and you'll perish in sin unless you repent 
of your sins and believe the gospel and trust in Jesus Christ. We have a picture of it here. It came freely by God's grace. But here was a king. He received this particular word, you're going to die. You're not going to live, you're going to die. And he prayed. And in answer to that prayer, the prophet Isaiah brought God's answer. I'm going to extend your life by 15 years. In the case of the daughter of Jairus, she received a new birth, if you like. She was raised from the dead. And in the case of Hezekiah, he also received a new beginning. He was restored. He was about to die, but God intervened and restored him. Maybe there's someone here in the house of God today. And once you walked with the Lord and you had so much love in your heart for him, witnessing for Christ, attending the prayer meetings, using the Bible to witness to your friends, you're only a shadow of the person you once were. Now you can have many excuses to make. Times are more difficult, times are hard and so on. People are harder. Where do you stand today? You've lost your way. There's no point in trying to hide it from God. You can hide it from your fellow men, fellow believers, and so on. You can have a thousand excuses why you don't attend church, you don't attend the prayer meetings, you don't witness anymore. You can have a thousand excuses. But God sees your heart. Maybe there are people listening today, and you should be in church today, but you're not. You should be here under the means of grace. You've allowed other things to come in and and uh, taint your view of him. Trifling with sin, maybe. Blending in. Trying to accommodate people around about you so you don't stand out anymore the way you used to stand out. You used to stand out like a sore thumb, as the saying is, because of your stand for Jesus Christ. But you blend it in. You're just like everybody else now. Nobody can see the difference. So there may, be, there may be someone here and you're dead in trespasses and in sins. You need new life. And there may be some uh, and you're on the verge of passing on in a sense. Losing your testimony. You're grappling the things of God. And you need that work of reviving in your heart. Now God will speak once. He will speak twice. He may speak three times or four times or seven times or 49 times. And then when he sees it's not working then God can step in with his chastening hand and will betide the man or the woman who rebels against God's hand and rebels against God's will. It will prove to be a disastrous time. So God is saying to you today, O Lord, I am oppressed, undertake for me, bring me back. I need this new life. I need to be where I once was with God. I can't just survive anymore. I need to get back. Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. That was the word that the prophet brought to Hezekiah. It was a warning. Listen, the word of the Lord is speaking today. The, Lord of, the word of God is speaking today. Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Verse 2. The statement was very blunt sometimes. That's how it is in the Bible. But here it was very blunt. 
To set one's house in order is to make a will or to make other provisions ensuring that one's affairs will be taken care of after death. Set thine house in order. I suppose uh, a lot of people, maybe the majority of people here, have a will made. You want to ensure that your home or your finances or your car, whatever, gets into the hands of your kids, your children, whatever. So you show great sense and responsibility to make sure that everything is in order for the time you depart the scene and go into eternity. And the Spirit of God came to this man and he was saying, Hezekiah, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Put things right. Just how close to death Hezekiah came is revealed in the song he later wrote about his experience in verses 9 through 20. He pictured death as the end of the journey, an end of me. The end of the journey. But then eternity. Eternity where? Heaven or hell, we can't get away from these facts. Heaven or hell. The end of me. Heaven or hell. He thought of life as a tent in these verses 11 and 12 that the shepherd would take down each morning. He would come to an era. He would uh, get the flock settled for the night. He would erect this little tent. Then in the morning he would take down the tent and move on. That's just what the, the, the servant of God was thinking about life. My life is just like a tent. It's here for a short period of time and then one day the tent will be taken down. Eternity. Or to be cut up and rolled away just the way a weaver would roll up his cloth when the garment was finished. That's, that, that's what he was thinking about. This is what the picture he had in his mind of his life. Like a tent. Sometimes uh, uh, churches do have uh, tent meetings and tent missions. It was a couple of years back some of the tents that had been erected were blown down with a storm. That's what life is like. My life is like that. Your life is just like that. His life was hanging on a thread. Think about the pain that he had and the sleepless nights and the emancipated, emancipated body were part of his experience. Think about it. But he did not want to die just yet. Upon hearing this news, he wept bitterly and he prayed, O oh Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. And that word oppressed is an interesting word. It's a very strong word. It means to be crushed. You think of the mill press, millstone, pressing the grain, crushing the grain. It, thinks, it speaks of being trampled on. Think about the grapes and those who would crush the grapes or abused or anguish, or distress. When you think of these terms, his life-threatening sickness was crushing him severely. He was under pressure. Day and night he was under pressure. He's bedridden. He can't get out of bed. His life is in a mess. And he's daily been crushed, crushed, crushed. Now, what was the problem? According to verse 21, it was a boil. 
And the word that is used there in verse 21 means to burn. It means inflammation. It was one of the plagues of Egypt, referring to the boils breaking forth. You think about that woman in Mark chapter 5, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. 12 long years, the agony, the pain, the disappointments. She had tried this doctor, another doctor. They all wanted the money. They weren't really caring about her. They got their feet. She was nothing bettered. Day and night, she was troubled. Doctor after doctor, she was troubled and disappointed. For all those years, until Jesus came. And he made all things new. He changed the whole situation completely. What about the man there uh, at the pool in John chapter 5? 38 years he lay there in agony, in pain. The same place, 38 years. He couldn't walk. What kind of life did he have until Jesus came? You think about the woman there in Luke chapter 13. For 18 years she had been bowed over. Bent over. Her face was looking to the ground. Bent over for 18 years. The pain, the agony, the sickness, the disease. No one likes pain. But when you have it morning, noon, and night... It can wear you out physically. It can wear you out mentally. And I can tell you something. It can wear you out spiritually. He was brought very low. Some of you in recent times, in recent years, have been brought low through affliction and suffering and pain. I've been with some of you. I can testify to that. The devil can use these things. Now, his illness is recorded in the context of his godliness. In verse 3, and said, remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth. He walked before God. And he said, and with a perfect heart, or we could put in there a loyal heart. And he did that which was good in thy sight. So here's a man who walked with God. Here's a man who had a loyal heart. Here's a man who was right in the sight of God. And Chronicles has much to say about Hezekiah's godliness. He was the first of 12 kings since the division of the kingdom of whom it could be said. He did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. It's just there that a problem arises. Hezekiah's illness was not attributed to any specific sin. His godliness is is underlined here. Why did God allow it then? That's the question that many of us have had to ask and deal with over the years. Why did it happen to this one or that one? Why did it happen to me? Why do we have to suffer if, if we walk with God or we're servants of God? Why, why, why? The Bible devotes an entire book in an attempt to answer this question. That book is the book of Job. Job is asking questions all through. Think about the losses at the beginning of the book and then think 
about the gains at the end of the book. And all through those chapters, he's asking questions. His friends are against him. Oh, you must be a terrible person with all of these things happening to you. But he wasn't a terrible person. He was a man of God going through the mill. He has been tested of God. A man who proved God. And even when you come to the latter part, ah, the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Listen, this is the surprising thing. When he prayed for his friends. My, we all have friends like Job's friends and sometimes we don't just feel like praying for them. But the secret is... When he prayed for them, the Lord turned his captivity. And the Lord gave him twice as much as he had at the beginning. This is what God does, you see. God turned the whole thing around. God intervened in sovereign mercy and in sovereign grace. Hezekiah was not ill uh, or sick because of a result of sin in his life. Isaiah, his leprosy was due to disobedience. It's not God's plan that believers, even devout believers, should be free from material and health-related problems. Suffering is the heritage of the bad, the penitent, and listen to it, even the Son of God. Now, just get me right here. He's not suffering because of his personal sins. He had no sins. Each one ends in the cross because the bad thief is crucified The penitent thief is crucified and the Son of God is crucified. By these signs we know the widespread heritage of suffering. It's the lot of mankind to suffer because of sin. There never would have been suffering. There never would have been cancer. There never would have been heart attacks. There never would have been diabetes. Had there been no sin, it would have been a perfect world. But then we know that's not the case. Arguments that say Jesus came to make us whole, and that includes being free from sickness, are at best misguided and at the worst harmful and dangerous. Some have even asserted that the Israelites were never sick. What about David? What about Paul who had the trouble with his eyesight? I think it was eyesight because there in Galatians he wrote this Letter. It's not a really a long letter, six short chapters, but he refers about, you see, the size of letters that I've written. It's not referring to the length of the book itself. It's referring to the size of the letters, big letters, because he had trouble with eyesight, you see. That was his problem. He was a man who, under God, uh, performed healings of sick people, but he didn't ask the Lord to do anything for him. He prayed about the matter, and the Lord said... Uh, My grace is sufficient for thee. That was how he coped with the whole situation. What about Epaphroditus who was left at Miletus because of of illness? Timothy was to use a little wine for uh, his delicate stomach and frequent illnesses. The Bible is clear the righteous do fall sick. Not necessarily because of sin. God has some purpose He may reveal it to us. He may not reveal it to us. As in the case of Joel. But whatever he does, he does well. I'm not going to get through this message. I might not even get through this first point. So I've got to move on. There's the sickness he suffered. And then there's the support he sought. 
He said, I am oppressed. Listen to it. Undertake for me. And in the margin of my Bible, it means ease me. If I go to uh, get, uh, give blood or anything to the doctor, I always say to the nurse, now, I'm a bit of a coward. Just treat me gently here. Maybe you're the same. I turn my head away from the needle. I don't like to even see it get in there. But I just say to them all, I says, now treat me gently. I'm a bit of a coward here. Ease me. Don't hurt me. The word literally means, be thou my surety. Be thou my security. Stand with me. Take responsibility for me. Protect me. So he's saying, I am oppressed. Therefore undertake for me. Ease me. Uphold me. Strengthen me. Be my doctor. Be my physician. Be the hearer of my prayer. Be the sustainer of my life. I can hear all these good things from my family and friends. And yes, it's helpful. But when I hear from God, thus saith the Lord, I can count on it. Give assurance that I shall be restored. Take me under thy protection. Oh, that's a good place to be. Under the care of the Lord. Following prayer, he prayed. Isaiah is dispatched with news, good news. That his life is to be extended by 15 years. So here he is. He's on the bed. He's his face towards the wall. He's praying, oh God. And then as Isaiah leaves, just a few minutes later, he's, he's moving away and God says, Isaiah, I want you to turn and go in again to the bedroom of the king and tell him, I've heard your prayer. God answers prayer. And he says, I'm going to add to your life 15 years. And furthermore, I'm going to deal with the Assyrians who are on your doorstep there. They will not take Jerusalem. God does not always heal in answer to prayer. As in the case of, of Paul, I mentioned him already. God just said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And so it was. All the word came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord. Then indicates a response from God. When the king prayed, God responded. The Lord spoke through Isaiah and the name Isaiah means salvation of the Lord or Jehovah as uh, Jehovah my helper. He was the son of Amos and Amos means strong. When Jehovah is your helper, when he's your salvation, you will be strong. He will strengthen you. He will undertake for you. I shared this uh, before, uh, maybe during one of the prayer meetings or whatever. I Think about the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido or Ido. You think of those names. Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. Berechiah means God blesses or Jehovah blesses. And Ido means appointed times. Put them all together. God remembers to bless and all of his blessings are timely. Was this not a timely blessing for the, for the man of God? It was, surely. It was after he had prayed, after he had taken the burden to the Lord, that the word came. The word came from heaven through the prophet. 
I'm going to save you. I'm going to extend your life by 15 years. I'm going to deal with the Assyrians at the gate. I'm in charge of every situation. I'm sovereign of all things. Delays are not denials, of course. We know that. Rather, these delays are times of testing our sincerity and better manifest the wisdom of God in answering prayer. I will deliver thee and I will deliver this city. His life would be spared and the land would be saved. What an encouragement this was to God's servant. Praise be the name of the Lord. And Isaiah not only was the prophet bringing the message of the Lord, but he proved to be a doctor. He brought the medicine. He said, Take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil, and he shall recover. Some of you may have had a a boil. It's a pretty painful thing. But this man really was in distress upon his bed. And here was the remedy. So there was the will of God. I'm going to extend your life 15 years, but at the same time, there's the doctor's remedy. Take this bunch of of figs, apply it to the uh, the boilers of poultice. Use the doctor as well. God is sovereign, but use the medication the doctor gives you to help. That's the way I do anyway. I think that's the way the Lord expects us to work. I am sovereign, I can do all things. I've given you the promise. But use a wee bit of common sense. Go to the doctor. If you need surgery, it has to be done. If you have a sore head, you need to take a tablet. If you have bad blood pressure, you need to take a tablet. You use a bit of common sense. That's really what the Bible teaches us. The support he sought. He prayed to the Lord. God answered prayer. And God intervened in a powerful way and then I'm just going to mention it there is the sentiment he shared you read there in verse 9 the writings of Hezekiah king of Judah when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness he tells us in this song how he felt during his illness and recovery did you know that Hezekiah was an author of Psalms He supervised a group of scholars who copied the the Old Testament scriptures. Proverbs 25 verse 1. He certainly had some new experiences that made him a better person. God gave him a new appreciation for life. Sometimes we take life for granted till it uh, is about to be taken away from us and then we cling to it as long as we possibly can. God gave him a new appreciation for prayer. Verses 13 and 14. Were it not for prayer, the king could not have made it through. Then in verse 15, there's a note of change in tone. What shall I say? He's at a, a loss to write what the Lord meant to him and did for him during the time of sickness. Then he said, He that hath both spoken unto me and himself hath done it. The Lord had promised to extend his life. The Lord had promised to deal with the Assyrians. And the Lord had done all of those things. The Lord did it himself. All credit is to be given to God alone. He himself hath restored me according to his word. And because of this, Hezekiah said, 
I will go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. And that word translated softly occurs only one other place in the Bible, Psalm 42, verse 4. I went, there it is, I went with them to the house of God with a solemn with a solemn calm and slow pace and the word that is used means slowly the idea is I will walk in a serious manner remembering that I am travelling to the grave I will avoid pride and pomp and show I will suffer the remembrance of my sickness and God's mercy to produce a solemn demeanour in my life in other words he's saying I have learnt from my experience to trust thee more and more. I am a different man because God afflicted me, because God allowed this to come into my life. I'm a better person. I, I, I've renewed myself spiritually. And he examined his heart, and in verse 17, he had confessed his sins, and he says, God cast all my sins behind Lie back. So God had a purpose in the whole thing. God allowed the sickness, all the pain and the agony for a purpose, to bring him to cast his care upon the Lord. And now he's writing the song. He's giving God the glory and the praise for his dealings with him. The Lord had done righteously. He had done all things well. I'm a better person because of what I went through. That's really what he's saying. At the start, he's on his deathbed sick. At the end, he's in the house of God singing. He commenced the chapter in pain. He continued the chapter in prayer and then he concluded the chapter in praise. There was a song put in his heart. A clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. Three years after this incident his son was born. The king died when his boy was 12 years of age. The young fellow missed the guidance of a good godly man. He succeeded his father as the 14th king of Judah, 2 Chronicles 33. Had Hezekiah died, there would have been a fatal interruption in the promised line of Messiah's birth. So God had a purpose in the whole thing. Keep him alive. The seed must continue. But listen to it. During that 15 years of extended life, this young man, Manasseh, was born. And listen to it. Manasseh turned out to be one of the most wicked kings ever to sit upon the throne. The sad commentary of his life, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And listen to it again. He reigned for 55 years. The longest king ever to reign. The longest period for any king to reign. He was born in that 15 year period that God extended Hezekiah's life. But then the time came when God dealt with Manasseh and chastened him. And he repented and was converted later in life. Ah, you may have a family friend and that family friend has broken your heart. And you say to yourself, is there any hope for my son? Is there any hope for my daughter? Is there any hope for my father or for my mother or my brother or my sister? Is there any hope? Yes! 
Because God is true to his word. And God in his divine providence, I do believe, answered the prayer of good, godly Hezekiah when he chastened his son. He ended up serving God for the rest of his days. His grandson was good King Josiah who did much to bring the nation back to God. Hezekiah was the son of a wicked father and was the father of a wicked son who was in turn the father of a godly son. This is what God can do. O Lord, I am oppressed. I am oppressed. Undertake for me the sickness that he suffered, the strength or the support he sought, and then the sentiments he shared. He gave God the glory for his great faithfulness. May God be pleased to bless you and encourage every parent, every young person, every concerned daughter, every concerned son, concerned about parents, loved ones, family and friends. God has everything under control. We may not necessarily see it and understand it, but he doeth all things well. Read the story of Hezekiah. O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. We'll close now in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee for a sense of thy presence. May thy word be blessed to all who have heard. May it produce faith in the hearts of thy children. May it bring healing to those who are hurting, those who need the touch of God in their mind, in their physical frame, spiritually. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, undertake, undertake. And may everyone who, who has heard the word today find solace in the word of God. For those who may yet be unconverted, bring them to the cross. And those who are trusting thee, may God give them more grace. Separate us with thy blessing. And in thy fear, for we ask these things in the Saviour's name. Amen.